Welcome to episode 35 of Dads from the Crypt, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason, and tonight I'm joined by Jody. Hello. And Mondo. Hello. You switched us up again. You threw me off again. Yeah. I know. I like it. Uh-huh. Gotta keep on your toes. And we have a special guest, author James Dermond. Uh, welcome to the Crypt. Okay. Glad to be here. Thanks. Um, so you have a collection of stories coming out. Yeah, it's volume four in the series, Doorways to the Unseen. Uh, each volume has six horror stories, uh, six short horror stories. And the fourth volume will be out uh, at the end of next month, April 2022. Great. And these are short horror stories, so kind of easy comic style a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot like uh, the anthology series, you know, that you'd see on television, you know, where there's a lot of variety in the the type of stories and, you know, the settings and things like that. So uh, the first story in volume four is uh, Fear of the Dark, which is about the boogeyman. Nice. It's also oh, a great Iron Man song. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's also, <laughs> yeah, as I found out, I was researching it uh, to see if anybody had uh, written a story like that before. And that's when I found out about Iron Maidens. You know, I'm not a big fan of theirs, but uh, I found out about the song when I was researching the the concept behind the story. That's cool. And how long have you been a uh, horror writer? My first book was in 2016, and then there was a several-year gap. Um, I was trying to get the second book written in between doing a lot of other things, you know, and I, I kind of I sold a business that I was developing, and, you know, I moved uh, from Denver to Colorado Springs, and then I wrote Volume 2, and then I wrote Volume 3, you know, and now uh, Volume 4 will be out next month. So I want originally planned this as an ongoing series, but... Uh, you know, I just had a, com- a, a combination of uh, being extremely busy in like a, something like writer's block where I just couldn't get the next uh, volume going. But uh, volume two turned out pretty well, I thought. And the volume five, is that on the horizon? Volume five will be available October 2022. So that was my original plan, like an April, October uh, release schedule. And uh, there'll be 12 volumes in the series and uh, two released each year you know, from uh, this year onward. And then um, after that, I, in between that, I plan to write novels, Mm. but I'm not sure when the first novel, whenever I can find time in between those two volumes, (laughs) you know, the the, the novels will get done. It's just taking me longer to write at the level that I want to write at. So is writing something you always wanted to do or is, um, or when did you start um, really, really getting into horror writing? Uh, It would be, um, right before uh, the first volume came out in 2016. So I started writing it. Um, it, it came out like right at around Halloween, 2016. Nice. So I started writing it earlier that year. And actually volume one was really easy to write because it was like, it just kind of came out of me and I, it was uh, unedited and, you know, uh, I wasn't really, it was unconscious in a lot of ways. I just kind of just wrote it all down. I wasn't really thinking about, 
you know, like uh, how it would appear to everyone else, you know, it's just stories that were in my head. And then uh, volume two took longer to write because I was kind of uh, self-editing, gotcha. you know, I was saying, no, this isn't good enough. And then rewrite the whole thing. I didn't do that for volume one, but it still <laughs> turned it- out really well. Isn't that what they say whenever you make like a music or or you make like a album or a movie? Like the first one this takes up your whole life, and then the second one you only have like six months or you know eighteen months to do. Well, yeah, I mean the thing is though, it's just things that I've been thinking about, but I didn't actually try to uh, write anything until 2016, mm-hmm. and I probably wrote it over less than two months. Oh wow! You know the six stories. And I'd never written anything before, like a, a short story or you know f- uh, fiction writing. So you didn't take any classes or anything? No, I don't have a degree in English or creative writing or anything like that. So I just excuse uh, so me. I've taken more creative writing classes and haven't written anything, and you just are natural. Well, no, I mean I've read. I, I mean I read uh, like uh, incredible amount of books when I was younger. Right. You know, so I was mostly an, an avid reader, like a voracious reader, gotcha. and uh, you know, and I watched hundreds of horror movies over the years, so. I had a lot of ideas like pent up in my head that just kind of uh, came out in six stories. Nice. Do you have any uh, favorite horror authors that you go to? Uh, you know, I like uh, Stephen King, but, you know, he's the the major one in the genre. Uh, Clive Barker, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. You know, I like the uh, 19th century ghost stories like uh, M.R. James and uh, Arthur Machen. You know, he's kind of a folk yeah. horror writer. You know, those would be some of the influences on this series. Okay. Well, um, again, when are those books coming out? So uh, volume four is coming out in uh, the end of April, 2022. And where can people find those? It'll be on Amazon first and then it'll be released on other platforms later. So excellent. All right. We'll keep an eye out for those and we'll definitely post some links uh, in this episode. Uh, but tonight we will be discussing Tales of the Crypt episode Undertaking Parlor, which premiered on July 24th. 1991. Uh, Jody, give us a plot synopsis. All right. We open on the Crypt Keeper dressed up as a director. Again, keeping the costumes going. Reminded me of Demon Knight. Uh, seeing yeah. the Crypt Keeper in the director's chair again. Uh, I like the ponytail. Yeah. No, I, uh, any, again, always good with the costumes, but uh, it also reminded me of Demon Knight. Also gets extra points. All right, so the the very first line of this episode, uh, we're introduced to three boys, uh, but the very first words you hear are, damn shit, son of a bitch, fuck. Um, and that's how we start this episode. Uh, these three boys are Norm, Jess, and Aaron. They're coming out of the theater, uh, talking about the movie together, and then we see something with, like, uh, Predator Vision. It, it's those colors, you know, that the Predator's using when he's using heat vision. Uh, following after them, and they turn and they see this hooded figure with a glowing dot in its face. And they run around, uh, but they realize that it is actually uh, one of their friends with a camera. Uh, the kid who played Short Round and uh, Temple of Doom uh, with a camera. Uh, this kid's name is Josh, and he says he's making a horror film. Uh, but then Jess says, you know, do you have the balls to make a real horror film and shake hands with a dead man? So they break into a mortuary. Uh, they pull aside a sheet and they see a dead woman who they recognize. It's a librarian. Uh, but then they hear a sound and they go hide. Uh, the undertaker has returned and he turns on some music and notices that the woman is uncovered. But then he starts talking to her and uh, 
talking about how she rejected him so many times and hits her in the face with a mallet. Starts like moving all these parts of her face around and making her smile and squishing her nose. And it's really like Play-Doh face weird. And uh, then he uncovers the rest of her body and slices into her to drain out all the fluids with a vacuum tube, eating pizza and drinking Pepsi the whole time he's doing all this, by the way. Uh, one of the boys accidentally makes a noise and the Undertaker goes to investigate. So another boy distracts him. And uh, before he can get found out, uh, the buzzer rings and uh, the Undertaker goes to open the door. While he goes to open the door, everybody runs out except for Norm, who was not fast enough to get out. And so while Norm is still hiding in there, a man comes in. Norm can't see who he is. He can only see his shoes. And this man demands his cut before the funeral. Uh, the Undertaker gives him 500 bucks. Uh, this person we find out is a pharmacist who is poisoning prescriptions that are killing the patients so that the families will pay for an expensive funeral. And then they each take a cut from that funeral money, which is a really convoluted scheme to make money as a pharmacist. I mean, you could just sell drugs. Uh, it seems like if you're already going to be uh, doing illegal stuff, you could just sell stuff. Uh, but anyway, they have this uh, this whole scheme. And then he reveals, though, that they're going to make a lot of money because he just sent some asthma medicine to a really rich guy. And they walk away and Norm escapes. So the next day, the three boys go to visit Josh and they find him crying. He said his dad died the night before from an asthma attack. And so the boys tell him what Norm had heard in the mortuary the night before. The boys take Josh's camera and they're going to go get evidence of the plot so that uh, people can find out what these two guys have been doing. Um, Norm can only see the man's shoes. So they go to the pharmacy first to figure out which pharmacist it was. And Aaron goes in and he steals a magazine to like draw them out from behind the counter, but it's not neither of the pharmacists in there. But then Mr. Grundy, the owner who owns the pharmacy comes by and he is wearing those shoes. And so they finally, they found out it's the owner of the pharmacy and the undertaker who were doing this stuff together. So Norm makes a delivery to the funeral home for Grundy, and then he purposely drops it on the ground. And the undertaker chases after him, and while he's out of the way, the boys run in and realize uh, that uh, the undertaker's actually been screwing Grundy. He's been saying, you know, I only made $500 this time, so here's your cut. But he's actually been making a lot more money, and uh, Grundy hasn't been getting... Uh, his half of everything. And uh, so then while, while they're going to, they hide, they point the camera there and uh, the undertaker comes back in with a new body at right about that time, the battery on the camera dies. And when it comes back, the body's opened up and uh, undertaker's filling up this body with a bucket of guts and sawdust. This is a really gruesome episode. Like there's a lot of guts involved in this one. Uh, while they're while he's watching through the camera, the door buzzes and Grundy comes in and he confronts him over the money. The boys had left that invoice where Grundy could find it. And the undertaker says, oh, well, you know, you can't say anything about this because I'll reveal that you killed your wife. So Grundy pulls a gun on him. Undertaker hits Grundy in the head, knocking him out, straps him to the table, and he pours some acid into his mouth and kills him. At this point, the boys all step out to reveal they all have cameras and they've recorded everything from all angles around the room. It's all caught on tape. Uh, the Undertaker threatens them with a knife, but the boys turn on that vacuum tube from earlier, and uh, they ended up sticking him in the stomach, draining out all of his blood and bodily fluids as he lies there on the floor. And then just for a weird little cap on it all, they look over at the librarian's corpse from earlier, and she's smiling. 
that's weird. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it was fun. Uh, kind of a weird ending, but uh, yeah. All right, Mondo, what did you think of this episode? Oh, okay, um, I really liked this episode. It had a super Stand By Me or a Goonies vibe to it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I love the, the kids. I, I, yeah, Losers Club uh, or um, uh, Monster Squad is also what Monster I kind of yeah. what kind of yeah. got from it. And um, I, I love the fact that I, I like to think that Norm grew up to be Norm from Cheers. <laughs> like, I, I know it's I know it's around the same time period, but you know we're we're just assuming it's done in the past because. Uh, you don't hear the name Norm anymore. It's such a good name. Like uh, whoever has a kid next out of all of us uh, uh, needs to name it Norm. No. Yeah, me too. I'm in the same boat. Yeah, everyone is shaking our heads. Whoever gets a cat next or a dog next, okay. it has to be Fair. named Norm. Um, uh, I, I did think I, I loved the uh, OSHA definitely would not be cool with that like power vac, like gut sucking machine. I'm pretty sure that's not how. I've seen the show Six Feet Under. I'm pretty sure it's not how funeral homes work or morticians work. And plus, it also looked like the robot from Lost in Space. So I did. I did kind of love that. Um, yeah. Well, the ending was a little bit weird. Uh, I do like the fact the Undertaker is threatening him with a knife and forgets, like, oh shit, I have a gun. I could just shoot these kids. And he should just shot him. Like I don't know what he hesitated for. <laughs> he, he easily could have killed all four of those kids in in, in that room. He's already involved in multiple murders. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, like what's what? What are four more? Doesn't have scruples. What are what are four more? But um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really really fun episode. I really like the uh, just the uh, the kids play so well together and 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 off each other, and um, was kind of endearing. I, I wouldn't say endearing, but you know, you think about it in, in modern times, right? Like if if one of our parents passed away, we probably all know about it within the day. Or whatever, very very quickly. Like his dad passed away, and no one knew about it because you just that's just not you didn't you didn't have a cell phone to text your friends back then. Um, so that was kind of uh, it's kind of you know a throwback to how we grew up, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think we're just continuing on this tales from the crypt streak of just great episodes, and and this one lives up to the. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We'll talk about ratings a bit. I don't know if I'd go five on it, but man, it's 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 up there, and um, it was an enjoy really enjoyable episode. James, what'd you think? Yeah, it was a pretty lighthearted episode, uh, despite the subject matter of, you know, murder <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, um, you know, the uh, bodies, you know, being desecration. You know, desecration of bodies and things like that. But yeah, it does have a, like a Goonies kind of 80 feel to it. So, um, you know, it's interesting to people from that era, you know, for that grew up watching that kind of uh, content. But yeah, I thought it was a pretty good episode. The first thing I thought of was when they took when they went down to the mortuary was stand by me like you want to see a dead body, mm-hmm. yeah. And they were um yeah, uh, they were all too cool to see a dead body. Oh, uh, can we talk about the the effects? I thought in the corpses was was really good. Oh yeah, oh it, yeah. It wasn't over the top, but it was just grotesque. And the uh, the chunks of meat flying, I, I love that effect. How they had the chunks of meat, you could see like you would think right if you actually had a machine like that, why would you have? Why would it be see through? <laughs> like why would that be viewable like you don't want to do one that's the psychopath edition yeah like (laughs) i don't want to see through shop vac to see what i'm cleaning up my garage right like why would you want that so (laughs) jody what'd you think yeah no like everyone else has said like it's just got that vibe of like the classic 80s kids movie kids getting into trouble kids stumbling onto something that they shouldn't have seen and then you know going to save the day um one thing I've always liked about like movies like The Goonies and this too, you know, these kids are foul mouthed. They're all mm-hmm. swearing. They're messing with each other all the time. 
like actual kids. Like, yes. I feel like that's really accurate. You know, they're all, you know, this, this is not a family series. This is just as gory and just as swear filled as any other episode, even though it really is, you know, it's almost like it's geared at teenagers, but it has all the stuff that teenagers shouldn't see, but want to see, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. Like I really had a great time with it. I love all those movies that we've already mentioned. And so it's just definitely a throwback to that time. I, I kind of feel like in, in modern times that, that like just kind of, even though, right, there's, there's grotesque stuff and cursing by these kids. Uh, we kind of, there's not a whole lot of great coming of age films anymore. Unless, not like that. Well, well, not like that. And unless, you know, obviously coming of age films today aren't meant for people our age. Um, but yeah, I, think uh, I think we're a little past that now. Yeah, but what I mean, though, is like even my, even like my kid, I don't know about your kids, I don't think they have any great coming of age films that they really latch on to or associate with like that we had when we were growing up. Even if you go as far as saying like The Craft was a coming of age film for a lot of people. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of that early 90s, late 80s is kind of it's still gruesome. It's still kind of uh, foul mouth, but it still has heart to it. It's not just foul mouth for the sake of being foul mouth, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's still, it's still very endearing. The only mm. ones I can think of modern, maybe the new It might have yeah, some of that in there. That's what I was going to uh, say. And Stranger Things. Oh, that's what Stranger Things like. actually is. Yeah, it is a nostalgia show, but um, it probably uh, resonates with uh, young people. I would think. Uh, yeah, no, my no. kids love it. I didn't we think of that. Every episode. Yeah, my daughter loves it too. I didn't even think of that. that's a really good call out. Oh, Yellow Jackets. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't. Um, yeah, I, I can't comment yet either. Yeah, okay. I, I just finished it. It's really I definitely great. want to. I, I, um, wa- I watched that one movie that came out with a few years ago about like the middle schoolers. It's kind of like super bad, but with middle school kids. Oh, good boys. Yeah, and, and but I felt like even that was a little bit too over the top. It didn't have the charm of those uh, yeah. those eighty ones. It was just like, all right, we're gonna do some really just weird shit because it's weird yeah, that, that middle that was... schoolers are doing it. Yeah, that was more raunchy for raunchy's yeah. sake. It's not, you know, just this is how kids talk. Yeah, yeah it's a tough needle of thread, and and uh, I actually think this uh, that's what's so great about this episode is that you know it's cast so well, and I think mm-hmm. everyone can see themselves as one of those kids because you got Jess as the cool kid with the leather jacket, Aaron is just kind of a shithead that gets in trouble. <laughs> Uh, Norm is kind of the chubby white kid, you know. That I definitely. Uh, 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 affiliated with that role and then you always have like again you always have the kind of the the ethnic kid you know we again this this very much remind me of very specifically of my group of friends in middle school uh, all kind of fill those different roles I, I think i was probably norm as well so yeah um <laughs> gee we all grew up to be three dorks that talk about horror like <laughs> imagine that <laughs> Um, yeah and so yeah so i think that it's cast really well um so and I think it's directed really well because we didn't say it, but there's a lot, a lot of shots that are like first person camera shots. Which yeah, you know, I mean, it's got a real seen, found footage. seen it a couple times, but yeah, yeah, it goes found footage for a little bit, which I was like, I love found footage movies. So yeah, me too. I was really digging on that. Um, so this was directed by Michael Thau. Um, he's mostly known for his editing. He like edited Small Soldiers, he edited Superman 2, their Donner cut. Um, so again, I think we have a good, really strong editing because the episode moves very quickly. And I like it when 30 minute episodes feel like 10 minute episodes because the pacing's so good rather than a 30 minute episode that feels like an hour. Right. Um, that always helps. John Glover plays the Undertaker. Who does, he's, he's great. He's chewing the scenery. It's, it's the kind of Telsner crypt over the top that we like. 
He was in Scrooge, Gremlins 2, and The Mouth of Madness. Um, he was in Smallville, Fear of the Walking Dead. And he's also done like a ton of voices in uh, DC animated. He was also in Batman and Robin. Um, <laughs> Grundy was played by Graham Jarvis, who was in Mr. Mom, Misery, Southern Heaven. So those are the adult characters. The kids are very interesting. Uh, Grundy was the uh, pharmacist, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. If you're going to be a creepy dude that kills people, don't dress like a creepy dude that kills people. <laughs> uh, you should try to hide that just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, so I said Aaron, the kind of shithead kid. He was in Puppet Master 3, and he was in Deep Space 9 as Nog, the kind of teenage Ferengi kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of cool that he had a nice career doing that. That's the best um, puppet master, by the way. <laughs> uh, let's see. Norm was played by Scott Fultz, who's in he was in one episode of Saved by the Bell, but I remember very distinctly it was like the very first Saved by the Bell episode I ever saw, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Um, and kind of made me into a big fan. He was in Quantum Leap. He was also in a series called She Wolf of London, which I kind of want to check out. Now, Jason Marsden. Uh, plays Jess, the cool kid. He has a very, very long career. He's been, he's still acting in pretty much consistently since then. And he's uh, the one I immediately recognized as mm, soon as uh, the kids popped up on screen because he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. So he was in, back in the day, he was in Erie, Indiana. Um, he was in the Monsters reboot, The Monsters Today. He had roles in Full House, Boy Meets World, Step by Step. But his voice career, he was, um, the kid in the Goofy movie, Goofy's son. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Spirited Away, the Extreme Ghostbusters, recently the Transformers Rescue Bots show. Ton of voice acting. Um, so he's had a really cool career. Then um, Josh is played by Ki Hu Kwan, I believe it's pronounced. And again, he was in Temple of Doom and The Goonies. And he actually has a new movie coming out, looks really cool, called Everything Everywhere All at Once. So he's Very gone cool. back into acting. So I'm really excited to see that movie. But overall, yeah, it's a really fun episode. Good acting all around, moves really quickly. And again, I don't know why it's a cliche, but anytime you see Coroner, they have to be eating. I don't know what says. It's just I, something that disturbs everyone else. You know, how could yeah. you eat in front of a you know corpse and all the right because we have a big organs and things like that. But they can't. I've seen the real you know uh, television footage of them doing it. Well, yeah, because you got you got to eat sometime, but just every single time, especially in Tales of the Crypt, every single Coroner. Well, I, I can say, I, I can't say much about a coroner, but my wife went to vet school mm-hmm. and uh, one day I went to visit her and she walked me through some of the rooms and there was a pathology room where there was literally half of a horse hanging up uh, like by chains. It was like a cat and a uh, cooler and all this stuff. There were kids sitting there eating with this like half horse. I'm, I'm gagging because it just smells like <laughs> death in the whole room and the kids just in there eating while the this horse hangs from the ceiling. So I guess you get used to it. Is this when she went to vet school in France? Uh, yeah, it's all raw. <laughs> I was like, no, did, you, it's did you guys see the uh, autopsy of Jane Doe? Yes. I love that movie so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah they, they go into a lot of detail about uh, what it's like to be a coroner. Yeah. You know, and how, it, uh, how uh, everything is perceived from their, you know, from, uh, from their side where they're working on these courses and they have to eat lunch and eat dinner, you know, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Not as gruesome, but I had a friend who's, I have several friends that are vegan, but we used to have a place here called like Burgers, Beer, and something, and they'd actually butcher the animals, like, not butcher them, but they'd, they'd be, already be dead, but they'd cut them up behind this glass window, you could watch them, and they'd grind the meat, 
Um, they had a fantastic vegan menu though. So I, I'd gone there and had the food is good. And I told her, I said, Oh, you should check this place out. They have a fantastic vegan menu. Not realizing that she basically made it in there and saw that and left. And she was pretty pissed off at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That should be a warning or something. I just didn't think about it. I saw the vegan menu and thought I was doing a friendly thing and saying, Hey, this place has an awesome vegan menu. Not thinking, Oh, but you have to walk through the abattoir to get there. <laughs> why would they do that? I mean, why would they show the animals being slaughtered? Well, they didn't slaughter them. Sorry. Just once they were already dead, just cutting. Them up and butchering the process. butchering the art oh, process. So they have the sides them. of they have the sides of meat. Yeah, that's about the sides of meat. But yeah. still, for someone who's vegan that doesn't want to see that, it was. Yeah, I don't uh, really know. Uh, no, no company uh, we work with is a is a chicken processing plant, and I have had to walk that floor and seen every step of the process. It's pretty fucking gruesome. Like I couldn't eat a sandwich yeah. while I was walking through that. Do <laughs> you hand out sandwiches? Like, Here's a killing floor. Have a chicken sandwich. Here's earplugs because it's loud. Here is your. You know your your coveralls, so you don't get messy. And here's a here's a chicken salad sandwich to take along with you. Chicken salad. <laughs> These are extra processed chicken. <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah, this is a really fun episode, and it's definitely I don't I don't remember much of it, but definitely the shot of them showing up with all the cameras. I'm like, okay, I remember this now. That was the the thing that uh, that came back to me. Did anyone think at the beginning when the Crypt Keeper is like, lights, camera, action, that you're watching the wrong episode? Yeah. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, am I watching the right fucking episode? <laughs> the damn Crypt Keeper. Um, oh, and, and, I, I, actually, I was thinking the beginning might be a movie within the movie or something like oh, that. Okay. Or I was yeah. like wondering, at, at one point I was wondering, are we watching their movie? And they're all at some point they're all going to stop like, cut. And yeah, no, like when, especially with the Predator Vision, I had that exact same thought that like this was them making a movie together. And, and at the end, when he's sitting in his little chair, why does he have a riding crop? Like, is is, is he going to ride a horse when he's done? Like, <laughs> like how many are there directors that just like walk around with riding crops on set? Depends on what's kind of an old fashioned yeah. uh, director's <laughs> prop. I think. Okay, okay. You know, back from when the Crypt Keeper uh, was alive, maybe in the nineteen twenties. I, I do like how, how Jody's thinking this there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a different direction. If you can send me recommendations, we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Did they ever, uh, this is the thing, I've never watched the whole series. I've watched probably several dozen episodes over the years. Did they ever talk about the Crypt Keeper's origin, or is it just completely oh, they did. left to mystery? Uh, at least his birth and his uh, parentage. Uh, there was an episode... Uh, in season two, or was yeah lower yeah, birth. season, lower birth, yeah lower birth. We so yeah, be- you get a little baby crypt keeper. <laughs> okay, I think I might have seen that. Like you know, it was probably <laughs> yeah, in the a circus. long, long time ago. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't remember that at all. So they kind of dated. I was kind of like, oh wait, did we get a crypt keeper origin? I don't. How did I not remember that? <laughs> so you've already mummy. covered that episode though, right? Yeah, because you're doing everything in chronological order. Yeah. Okay. He's the, the child of a mummy and a two-headed mutant. Okay, yeah. I think I might have seen that episode. It's a very vague memory. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the Crypt Keeper of the Teenage Years episode. <laughs> oh, I, I, I want to see him, like, just take him and put him at Bayside High. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a wrestling match between the Crypt Keeper and AC Slater. Saved by the what Google. is the, the lightest uh, wrestling category? What's the lightest weight? Oh, I think maybe, God, I think 105 pounds. Yeah, I don't know if he'll even qualify for that. He's, he's very uh, well, airy. No, that's just a max. Funny. That's, just a, that's <laughs> okay. just a max you can weigh. So, like, you can be, like, 40 pounds and good luck. Okay. But. 
That seems likely. What's that called? The featherweight? Uh, I think that one might actually be like ro- I think rooster weight might be the rooster lightest. Weight. Okay. I was a I was a I was a super heavyweight, so I was on the other end of the spectrum <laughs> on that one. Which right, is like Jody. 215 to whatever you want to weigh. Jody, you got a comic comparison? Yeah. So uh, this came from Tales from the Crypt number 39. That's the December 1953 issue. Uh, script by, again, the big guys, Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, the guys in charge of EC Comics. Art by Jack Davis, again, kind of like they're, they're all stars coming out for this one. Uh, it's the same basic story without the whole camera angle because obviously 1953, nobody had personal cameras. Uh, I did enjoy the kids' names in this one. Uh, instead of the ones we got, uh, we've got Chubby. Just, just the, don't even try. Just name the kid Chubby. Hey, is, it that, is that better or worse than naming a kid podcast? <laughs> worse. <laughs> All right, so you got Chubby, Pete, Billy, and Percival, who I don't know what the... Billy and Pete hang out with Percival. Um, they call him Percy, at least. But it, it actually says Percival. Uh, it was really kind of fun how they did part of this uh, because the scene that we see in the uh, mortuary where the Undertaker's doing all the stuff preparing the body, they don't show it in the comic, but they have the kids peering in a window describing it. So I'm, I'm going to read you some of the dialogue from this because I just think it's really fun. Uh, they said, what's he doing, Chubby? He's taking off the clothes. Now he's sharpening his scalpel. Golly, I don't feel so good. If it makes you sick, don't look, Percy. Oh, he's slicing old man Grove's skin at the base of his neck. What's that he's doing, Billy? He's sticking a needle with a tube in the cut he made into Mr. Grove's neck. He's turning on some kind of motor. He's pumping out the blood. That's what he's doing. Golly, we could charge admission to the rest of the gang to watch this. So it's just kind of fun because instead of showing all the gruesome stuff, they have all the kids describing all the gruesome stuff. So your imagination can take over uh, and see what's happening in that mortuary. Um, The boys see Grundy come in. All the boys see him and they see who he is. They hear the whole plot. Uh, But Percy actually leaves early because his dad's been sick. And uh, that's when the boys realize that Percy's dad's the next victim. He's the richest man in town. And uh, so they go try to stop it, but they're too late. Uh, Percy's dad's already died. And they don't tell Percy what happened. Like, they don't want Percy to know that his dad's been murdered. It's just a tragedy, not uh, a horrific thing that happened. So they, they leave Percy out. And they spy again and see that the undertaker's feeling bad. And the druggist says he'll send over a, to- a tonic to help him out. And so the kids just kind of hang around the pharmacy waiting for the, uh, the guy at the drugstore to say, hey, you know, I'll give you a nickel to run this over to the undertaker. And uh, so they do that and then they take it and replace the medicine that the undertaker or that the druggist is sending over with rat poison. And so when they get there, they drop it on the ground on purpose and a cat comes and licks it up and he dies. And so the undertaker thinks that he's been double crossed. He's like, oh, the druggist is trying to kill me to, to cut me out of this whole thing. So instead of the um, instead of the, the pharmacist thinking he's been double crossed, instead, the undertaker thinks he's been double crossed. And uh, so they meet up in the cemetery and the undertaker stabs the pharmacist to death. And then one of the boys sneezes. The undertaker chases after him. He trips and hits his head on a tombstone and dies. And because it tells from the crypt, here's your final scene twist. 
the grave that he dies on is Percy's father's grave. So um, they get revenge for him killing Percy's father. So it's the same kind of basic idea of this convoluted plot to make money by uh, poisoning people and then charging a lot for funerals. And then one of the kids actually gets caught up in it. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of interesting. They changed who double-crossed who uh, with the twist at the end, that instead of uh, in the show, uh, the, the pharmacist realizes he's been screwed. Instead, they make the Undertaker think he's the one getting screwed in this situation. So it's a cool comic. Uh, again, it's got that uh, kind of kids, a little gang of kids, gang of friends uh, getting into trouble and doing something risky uh, to help each other out. So I liked it. It's a good comic. Nice. Yeah, I, I looked at it. I didn't read the whole thing, but um, yeah, the artwork on this is great. I love that cover. That is so good. Yeah, the cover with the Undertaker chasing the three boys mm-hmm. is amazing. I want someone to like, draw our faces on those boys. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Get on get on Fiverr, see if I can get somebody to do that for us. Yeah. <laughs> but only for five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying six. That's some bullshit. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our, rank, our readings. Uh, James, our guest, you can go first. One to five, you can do half points. Five okay, being so, the highest. Uh, out of on a scale of one to five, I'd mm-hmm. give the Undertaker Poller episode uh, four out of five. All it's right. not the best episode ever, but it's one of the good ones, certainly. All right, Jody. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Four out of five. I think it's a fantastic episode, a ton of fun. Uh, there are better episodes, but I really enjoyed this one. Armando. I'm going to go four and a half. Um <sighs> Because Ooh. I really just, man, those coming of age old stories, they just really get to me. Like, I really enjoy those. Um, and I think that kind of put a little bit over the top for me, but um, I can't go five. Um, but uh, I think that's, the, you know, we talk about the Stand By Me, Goonies, Monster Squad comparisons. That just, and, and the fact that I watched the episode, and I was like, holy shit, it's over already. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It went by so quick, like, yeah, I got to get it a four and a half. Yeah, I honestly don't know why I can't go all the way to five with this one because it's got everything I love in it. But I just, I just feel like it's not quite there, you know. Well, and I also think that the fact is, like I said at the very end, I'm like, oh, it's over already. So I almost wanted a little bit more at the end, a little yeah, something sure. at the end instead of the really just abrupt, like. Yeah, almost, it didn't yeah. feel fully realized like some of yeah. the other. Episodes. Maybe if this, but maybe if they got yeah. done a forty-five minute episode this time, just a little extra. Yeah, yeah. But that's a quality. That's a quality problem. Yeah, but I mean, well, maybe even five more minutes or two more minutes with just some sure. kind of finality. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, four and a half. And granted, like I, I'm really nitpicking at that point. Right. Yeah, I'll go with the four and a half too. It's not. It's not the five. It's not like if I'm gonna make a list of top top episodes, that's a five to me. Um, so it's like right below that. It's like right below the best of the best. Uh, but by um, doing this is one of those episodes that I probably show someone who mm-hmm. maybe not be a big horror fan, but wants to watch something kind of fun. Like someone came out of my house and goes, Let's put on a horror movie, and I'm like, All right, let's watch Blood Sucking Freaks. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably put like this would be a good episode to put on. I think people would enjoy. Is there right. is there any episode that all three of you have given a five to? This season oh. we have, right? Uh, uh, luckily, Jason tracks all this, so he should be able to bring it up yeah, pretty hold quickly. Hold on. Give me 10 seconds. Well, while Jason's looking at that, I went to go look up who did the special effects because that's one of the highlights of this one with all of the, the corpses and everything. Uh, it's a guy named Le- Lenny Dar- Darling Dar- Dalry Maple. <laughs> Dalry Maple. <laughs> I don't know how to say this name. Dalrymple. Can you Dal- use it in a Rimple. sentence? 
D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E. Dalrymple? Anyway, uh, he did effects for stuff like Armageddon, G.I. Joe, Iron Man, Volcano. So not anything wow. uh, horror gory. He did do several episodes of Tales from the Crypt, though, that will be coming. Oh, he did The Undertaker, uh, The Reluctant Vampire, too. Oh, cool. Um, so. uh, uh, the uh, uh, Nicholas Pike did the soundtrack for this, which I really liked. Um a lot of stuff on his resume, like he's been involved with the Wild Wild West by Will Smith, the music video, um, some Michael Jackson music videos, but he actually did all the music for um, Freddy's Nightmares, which oh, you cool. can find on Screenbox right now. You right. Screenbox is free to watch Freddy Nightmares. You got to pay. Just FYI, which worth it. Yeah, I mean. What's one more streaming service? Exactly. <laughs> like at this point, what I just matter? I just have fucking Directv at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have updated my list of the ratings this season, but I can say last season. Interesting enough, we all gave fives to Fitting Punishment, which is actually a very similar episode that also takes place in their funeral home. Oh yeah, it involves a uh, teenage boy. Oh yeah, um, that's the Jack Shoulder one, right? Jack Shoulder, exactly. Yeah. Um, I was going to make that comparison too, but I forgot. And then the other one we've given all fives to was for crying out loud. Okay. Okay. I'll have to look those two episodes up. Yeah. There's a a lot where like something this season got it too. We'll have to let the double check. I'm sure there's something this season. Um, This season's been great. Yeah. I just haven't written it down, but um, yeah. Are are you guys watching creep show on shutter? I haven't watched the newest season, but there's been some pretty phenomenal episodes of that. Actually, that's a good transition because uh, we have an interview. Actually, by the time this comes out, the interview should be up on our website. But we interviewed John Harrison. He directed the Telescript episode Easel Killia, the last one that we did. And um, he directed uh, a lot of the Creepshow episodes. So okay, that's cool. The House with the Head, which the house, is yeah, really cool. We talked, yeah, that's from season one. Yeah, was yeah we, we talked about that one specifically. I picked one episode to rewatch and discuss. So we talked about that. He also directed Tales from the Dark Side. He's probably one of the most prolific horror anthology TV directors. Um, if not the most prolific, if you look at his whole resume. He didn't do any Freddy's Nightmares, but he did a ton of Tales from the Dark Side. He did two Tales from the Crypt, and he did a ton of the uh, Creepshow episodes. James, are, are you all caught up on Creepshow? Yeah, I think I've watched every episode, all three seasons. What are, what are your favorite ones? Um, what was the one um, about? It was like the the end of the world about like, it was like an evil dead type episode. Yes. With the, with the Bob Ross. Yeah. That was my favorite Uh, episode ever. I love that. What's it called? Um, I can't remember the name. Ah, it's like that Bob Ross style one, the public access TV. Mm. Yeah, I, the, the PBS type thing. That, well, no, that, that was a good, I mean the, the one later, um, you know, it, it like, a, it, it talks about people who are like a executioners of these demons. Huh. And it has a very evil dead type aesthetic to it. I don't know if I've seen that one. I don't know if I've seen that. It one. might be a season three one. I, I yeah, it is a season, season three. three okay, I haven't seen season three yet. I've seen one and two. Uh, Public Television of the Dead is the one you're talking oh, about. Yeah, but, yeah, but there's also the, so the other one though. Uh, it's like supposed to be you know, like a post-apocalyptic, right. you know, satanic, uh, supernatural post-apocalyptic situation, and um, that looks a lot like Evil Dead, like the the demons that are in it are copied from evil. Well, I'm going to check that out because everything you just said sounds like it's everything I love. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's probably the, the best episode of season three. I mean, I could look it up, but, uh, you know, Shudder follows me on Twitter. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they've retweeted some of my stuff, too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Shudder's one of those things when it first came out. It, don't, I'm not saying it was bad, but it was kind of just chugging along. Then they just kind of just figured it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they have so many good new releases on it every month. Um, so plus like, God, the back catalog on shutter, just gem after gem after gem. And there's something for everybody. Whenever your mood is like, uh, uh, Hey shutter. Um, <laughs> how would you yeah, to sponsor need, a, po- a podcast? <laughs> if we need another, uh, sponsor. Right. <laughs> okay. We're going to move on to song of the day. And originally when we were going to record this episode, Mondo wasn't going to be able to make it cause he was celebrating his uh, birthday weekends. Woohoo. So I did a um, whole song of the day in honor of Mondo. So we're just going to go with roll with that. So um, I, I, I read what you wrote. And uh, as you go, I'll start correcting the things you got wrong. But keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, a lot of this I cribbed from other websites, so we can blame them. So again, for song of the day, I wanted to honor Mondo and his birthday. So I looked up uh, entrance songs for wrestler The Undertaker, which obviously goes with the episode. And Mondo's a big wrestling fan. So I figured... Mm-hmm. That works together. Um, now, throughout, I looked at uh, the songs, the entrance songs that The Undertaker has used um, throughout his like probably 20, 30 year career, Mondo. Um, and he started, I think, in the 80s. Man, he is close to 40 years at this point. Yeah. Um, I yeah, think, eh, if you put a gun to my head, I think 80. Eight might have been when his when he started as Mean Mark Callis, or he might have been Texas Red in the uh, in Mid South Wrestling. Um, it's been a long time though. His first uh, match was in 1990. That's Google, not me. Just well, knowing this. that might have been well, his first match as the Undertaker, which was Survivor Series 1990, where he it's came his out first as one on one debut. It says. All right, you guys keep just keep talking. I'm going to look this up. So I don't trust that. <laughs> yeah. No, don't trust me. I don't know All right. anything about what I'm talking about. Regardless. But in his career, he's had many different entrance songs. I guess it never occurred to me that wrestlers could change their entrance songs. But I guess for someone with the career of The Undertaker, they've gone through kind of different phases. He switches it up. So throughout his career, he used uh, Kid Rock's American Badass, uh, Limp Biscuits Rolling, but we're not going with one of those. <laughs> In 2010, again, I'm getting this from another website, so Mondo, feel free to correct me. Um, after retiring Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker suffered a rash of injuries that kept him out of action for a few months, uh, culminating in a feud with his, quote, brother Kane, where he was buried alive. So Mondo, I'm assuming that the Kane buried The Undertaker alive. All right, kind of them off for a little bit. Yeah, go. Kind of correct. Let, let, me, let me just take over here. Okay. <laughs> so he actually, so I was right. He started in '87. In '87, as Texas Red, um, and as, for uh, World Class Championship Wrestling, which is a Texas-based promotion uh, where the Von Erichs came from, the Freebirds came from. It was crazy because back then this regional promotion had a worldwide distribution, which is actually insane when you think about it for the late '80s. Um, so his feud with Kane started at WrestleMania 14. Well, they brought well Kane debuted in 1997's Bad Blood pay per view in the Hell in the Cell match where Shawn Michaels actually beat the Undertaker, and then they feuded and tag team throughout their careers. Um, and in his later years, he was just kind of always, always injured. So he was wrestling once a year at WrestleMania, and he kind of mentioned how he thought it was actually worse for his body because. He was like, he wasn't used to it. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where you don't, you know, if you don't run at all and you run one marathon a year, your body's going to be like, man, what the fuck are you doing? Um, 
But yeah, he wrestled uh, the Kane and buried alive match. No one remembers that. The WrestleMania matches, people were like, people have this fond memory of the Undertaker being undefeated at WrestleMania and having these great matches. He had some of the fucking worst matches of all times, too. Um, I was actually in La- at Las Vegas, WrestleMania 9. He wrestled the giant Gonzalez, which was this eight, like seven foot, like legit seven foot six guy who wore a bodysuit with muscles painted on it. And somehow a crotch painted on it too. No wiener there, so he was basically uh, uh, didn't have a, a gender. Um, who actually choked the Undertaker out with a chloroform rag, and they gave Undertaker the DQ win. But what's crazy is if they'd have given Giant Gonzalez the win, that would have ruined the streak, which is what he actually became famous for. Um. So do you know what WrestleMania he used this? Did you already say the name of the song? No, we haven't got there yet. Okay, sorry. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so it's a long road to get to the name dude, of the song. Anyway. Dude, like I'm, I'm a diehard wrestling fan, so I, I, I keep going, Jason. I'll let you pick it up from there. Okay, so basically, they, <laughs> because of his injuries, they try to do this whole uh, plot where he's kind of gathering his strength and kind of rebuilding himself. So they decided to make his entrance song uh, Johnny Cash's cover of Ain't No Grave, which was released on the last kind of compilation CD after Johnny Cash passed away. And I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. I'm not like big on country but he's like the pinnacle for me and uh, it's one of my favorite artists well and th- those late cds of his mm, so uh, good they're so good with rick, um, with rick rubin i would 100 say like i'm not an early johnny cash i wouldn't say fan but like i like his older stuff later when he started getting that gruff voice and very introspective work he started doing was really great so he used this song at wrestlemania 27 uh where he wrestled uh triple h in a no holds barred match it was a rematch from the year before um one of the best, so there's a spot in the match where Triple H, like everyone knows the Undertaker's not losing at WrestleMania. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Um, it was a streak. And Triple H hits him with his own tombstone. And I was like, oh, fuck, they're ending the streak right here. Like, it got me. As a guy who's watched wrestling my whole life, <laughs> and what I say, like, what I love about pro wrestling is when I can forget that I'm watching pro wrestling. And just fall in love with the story they're telling. And those guys did a great job. It was a great show. Um, later on at WrestleMania 30, uh, The Beast, uh, Brock Lesnar. Can I do the Paul Heyman intro? Can I do the weird? I'm not going to do it. I'll say it from the episode. But like The way Paul Heyman introduces Brock Lesnar is the best thing ever. Just had to get that in there. And uh, Brock Lesnar ended the streak at WrestleMania 30. Um, which is one of those things where... I remember watching that live with my wife and he hits like the third F5 and I was like, fuck, they're going to pin The Undertaker. But I didn't believe it in my heart when I pinned him and I was just like, what the fuck? And that was the talk of like the sports world. Like ESPN had like a discussion about this on their what, on sports center the next day. Um, so that was the end of the streak. And he will actually be inducted this year into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is the most bullshit Hall of Fame in sports. And I say that based on, like, if you have a pulse and you wrestle for them at some point, you can just go in the Hall of Fame. It'd be like a AAA ball player who played, like, three games in the majors that they're like, ah, we just need a body. Get Joe Bill in here, and he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. um, so, yes, yeah, so our song for the for the week is Ain't No Grave. This is actually written by a man named Claude Eli. Um, a songwriter and preacher, and supposedly this is the story on Wikipedia. Take it with a grain of salt. He wrote it in 1934 when he was age 12, when he was battling tuberculosis, and his family was gathered around praying for him to get better. And he just started talking. It just he just started burst out in song with this uh, with this song <laughs> called "Ain't No Grave." Um, 
know if I buy that story, but I'm sure I'm sure at the time it was a good good story to sell some records. Were you able to find the original anywhere? Or did you look for it? Um, I did not look for it, but it's been covered by many different people. Okay. And the Johnny Cash version was used in Django Unchanged and also in the first episode of Westworld. Oh, nice. Oh, was it maybe like a piano song they did? How they had all those like... Um, I have to look it up. Uh, they said they used the Johnny Cash version. Okay. I think it was in the credits. Okay, that's cool. Credits for Westworld for that first episode. Uh, Jason, uh, stellar, phenomenal pick, man. I'm a, I'm a fan. Thank you. I like it. The original version is on YouTube. If you want to hunt it down, check it out. I'll check it out. See what the 1934 version is yeah. like. Yeah, well, because a lot of those early, even like those early blues songs were written by one person, but they got covered a million times by yeah. other artists yeah. who just, and they, but then they all put their own take on it. It's kind of like the telephone game where by the end, it's a completely different than the original, but it still retains that spirit, which is. But you know yeah, what? If cool. Johnny Cash is covering it, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, what is it? Like the Nine Inch Nails cover hurt. Like hurt, yeah. uh, hurt, yes. Trent Reznor, so, after he heard that goes, that's not my song anymore. He said yeah. it feels like someone stole his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which Johnny Cash is better than Trent Reznor, so it's fine. Well, sure. <laughs> well, well, yes, I'm right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, Jordy, hit us with some trivia. So did you hear me try to like give Mondo information about wrestling and just get like burned out real fast about how bad I was? Dude, with my dude, Googling? I'm not going to bring up wrestling. I was pretty like, nervous to, to talk about wrestling in front of Mondo. No, yeah. man. Like it, it I actually, fast. I learned fast. It, it, it's, yeah. it's one of those things, man, though. But like, I, I'm, it, it, I'll tell you, Jason, like when you picked that, warm my heart, dude, like super endearing. I mean, that. I really yeah. mean that sincerely. Like that's pretty cool. I appreciate it. Yeah. Glad you liked it. So my trivia is short and sweet this time. Uh, we talked about the Undertaker uh, who enjoyed some pizza as he was draining a body. Uh, the pizza box, if you look very closely, is for, from Zemeckis. For a minute, I thought you were still talking about the wrestler. I just pictured the Undertaker eating a whole pizza <laughs> at once while draining a body. <laughs> All right. No, the Undertaker in the show was mm-hmm. draining a body and eating pizza. And once again, uh, the pizza place was Zemeckis Pizza, um, obviously named after Robert Zemeckis, the producer for the series. Uh, but we also saw Zemeckis Pizza uh, back in the episode three episode, uh, The Trap. Uh, the The lead dude worked for Zemeckis Pizza and had it on his uh, uniform. So uh, keep an eye out. Anytime you see pizza in this show, it might be Zemeckis Pizza. Now, I just want to pick. I just want to picture like his brother or an uncle or his father actually owned a pizza place called Zemeckis. And yeah, so that was actually a thing outside of the Tales from the Crypt universe. That'd be awesome if if we ever open a Tales from the Crypt theme park, we'll have to have Zemeckis pizza. Excellent. All right. Um, for our dad advice section, we thought we'd give some um, horror novel horror author recommendations. Um, so James, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Uh, do you want me to recommend um, a novel or? Yeah, you can pick a couple novels. Okay, pick a couple of novels. Um, it's kind of an old one, but I was just talking about this with somebody. It's uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth revisiting. I read it in grade school, and um, you know it's probably worth reading again now. Uh, real quick question: I read it in grade school too. Were yeah. you mo- in grade school? Were you more grossed out by the sex scenes or by the gore? Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the sex scenes that. Cl- yeah, well, actually, I do. I remember the scene where they're in the bathtub. Yes, hundred yep. percent remember that. <laughs> yeah, and it's something about uh, Girl Scouts. You know where she learned that. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed that I remember that because uh, <laughs> now that you mention it, I do remember that scene. It's still, I, it's still in my memory. But like the most disturbing part is the very end. Yeah. You know, yeah, which so in the movie, the original movie and in the novel, it's, it's uh, truly frightening. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I think of all of Stephen King's books, especially during his coked out days, Pet Cemetery is the most like gut wrenching, you know, scary one of all of them. I love, I love lots of Stephen King, but Pet Cemetery may be the scariest one. It's um, definitely the most depressing one. So I saw um, the new Pet Cemetery at a sneak preview, like a test screening, but they didn't, they don't really tell you what movie it is until you get into the theater. And they just said like upcoming horror movie. And I knew Pet Cemetery was like an upcoming horror movie. And they sat us down like, okay, guys, we're going to show you the new Pet Cemetery. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to see kids murdered. <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a heavy movie to just drop on someone. And also, it's you know, super heavy. Spoiler for the new one, but they, you know, how they switch which kid gets mm-hmm. hit by the car. Again, when you see a, a screening like this for a new movie, oftentimes you haven't seen any trailers yet. So when that happened, I like jumped out of my seat because you know they kind of give it away in the trailer a little bit. Mm-hmm. They kind of knew, but I had no idea that they were going to do it that way. So my jaw just dropped, and I even wrote in the comic card, "Do not give this away in the trailer," which of course they did. But. They did. <laughs> yeah, not gonna listen yeah, it wasn't as good as the original, but it was still a pretty uh, good movie. I thought. Yeah. yeah. I haven't, um, I haven't seen right. it. <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I, I saw it uh, right before the oh, really? pandemic started. I think. Uh, uh, yeah. If I can ask too, uh, James, what authors uh, are there? Any authors that uh, obviously Stephen King that inspired you to start writing? Uh, I mean, I was more inspired by horror movies. I think. Than, okay. Uh, particular authors, um, you know, particularly like uh, the horror, you know, horror movie anthologies or uh, TV shows like uh, Tales from the Crypt. Cool. Which is you your know, especially because this is a it's not an anthology series because it's only my stories, but um, it's a, a collection of short stories. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I was more inspired. Like uh, Tales from the Dark Side is a big influence mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. series. Nice. Yes, all right, Mondo, and then your, uh, Night Gallery. Do you guys remember Night Gallery? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So those are actually two that I was thinking of specifically when I started writing this. Nice. Thanks. Love it. Mondo, what's your book recommendation? Real fast, Jody, you said you had a headache. Did you just open another hard sell? Yeah, that, that glass looked pretty full when you just showed it in the screen. I may have. Yes. <laughs> T- Tennessee is a test market for hard Mountain Dew. I won't say too much about it, but uh, it's pretty good. It's really dangerous, honestly. <laughs> I still it's too good. No it's too good. All right, real, real, real fast. There's four flavors. Did you try all four? Uh, I've got three so far. I haven't had the tri- okay. cherry. Next week what we're are, gonna need a, we're gonna need a, a rating or an order of the four. I can make it happen. What right. are the four? What are the four flavors? We'll talk. We'll talk about um, it next week. Okay, we'll save it next. We'll week. save it next week when Jody can give us a full review of Mountain Dew Hard Seltzer. Hopefully, coming to our town soon. Um, uh, favorite horror novels again. Pet Cemetery was kind of like one of the first ones I ever read that really just blew me away. Because again, I was in, I was in fifth grade when I read it, and I'm like, what the fuck did I just read? And mm-hmm. uh, and that was yeah. Uh, it was in our school library, which is kind of no surprising. way. Yeah. So I, I think nobody. I went to Catholic school too, so like the wow. nuns never wow. bothered you. No, that they didn't know it was in there. The nuns were like, "It's got a kitty cat in the cover." We'll just <laughs> yeah. So they, I don't think they ever wrote it, but I, that's where I started reading H.P. Lovecraft too. Is okay. our little library. 
um, uh, Lovecraft for all the you know the issues that guy has. You know, we can talk for we do a podcast about like the issues that guy had. But like I, I was a big fan of Lovecraft growing up. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, def- yeah. The, the first the first story I read of him was The Outsider. Okay, that's a great yeah, one, and that made yeah. a big impression on me. That's a Shadow great over Inn's mouth is probably my favorite Lovecraft. Uh, the, the fish people and all that. I love uh, it. <laughs> There's, yeah, I was, a, I, was a, I was a big fan of, of Lovecraft growing up. Um, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do this twofold. One of my favorite um horror authors of all time was uh, Jack Ketchum, mm. who, who passed away. Uh, I think about two years ago, maybe three years ago, and um, he did. Uh, if if you want to read two books back to back, that'll just wreck your shit for a couple of days. Um, uh, the Offspring and then sorry, Off Season and the Offspring, which mm-hmm. um when the off when Off Season first came out, they told him like you can't. Like the original ones that came out, he had to make the ending happier because it was so bleak. And later on, the original came out. But I pretty much celebrate all that guy's work. I'm a big fan of Jack Ketchum. Obviously, big big fan of Stephen King growing up. Big Clyde Barker fan growing up. Um, Books of Blood. Uh, obviously, I love the Books of Blood. Um, even like the, the he did one called Mr. Be Gone, um, mm-hmm. which I really, really enjoyed too. Um, Lovecraft, obviously a big influence. Uh, Edward Lee. Edward Lee is kind of like this guy you can tell is pretty sophisticated, but wants to write like redneck trash, and it's kind of yeah. fun. Um, uh, I could probably I just can't think off the top of my head. Uh, there's there's all kinds of great horror authors out there, and like uh, like James here, a lot of great independent horror authors coming up that um, you can find a lot of stuff on Amazon if you just just look through stuff and try to see um, you know. Uh, different authors. Uh, also, a, a series I'm a big fan of is called the Repairman Jack series uh, by F. Paul Wilson, who is kind of like horror slash sci-fi slash detective slash mystery all rolled into one. And they do a series called the Adversary series, which I read over the past during the pandemic. And um, I was like very sad when that series ended because it's one of my favorites I've probably ever read. And I'll also say for anybody out there with kids, uh, when I was growing up as a young uh, a young person. One of my favorite horror novels growing up was Bunnicula. Oh man, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> the bunny. I, I wrote a book report about that in second grade <laughs> with <laughs> illustrations. Bunnicula, like Dracula. I guess Dracula, but but it's a bunny and yeah, uh, oh, vampire bunny. <laughs> yeah, vampire okay. bunny. Just an, an, an endearing uh, kind of little tale. That I think is really cool if you have young kids yeah. that are getting into horror. It's not mm-hmm. scary. It just kind of starts pro- so starts you know um, breaching some of those um, yep. horror themes. By the way, the I looked it up while uh, while we were talking that uh, the episode I was talking about from Creep Show season three episode four is a meter reader. Oh, okay. And it's it's about list. the meter readers are these kind of uh, demon hunters. They're like demon hunters, oh, cool. and the the demons in that episode of Creep Show are are definitely taken from the Evil Dead series. Excellent. Okay. And, and, High and, on my list. No. And, and while we're at two, I've also I didn't realize it till I looked it up on Goodreads, but I've actually read I actually read James uh first collection and I gave it uh I thought it was four and a half. I gave it four out of five. I don't think you can give half stars on Goodreads and my eyes aren't that great anymore. Um but uh I enjoyed it when I read it back in two thousand sixteen. And he told me that the last story is about a spider and it disturbed a lot of people. I'm like, I'm gonna have to read that again now. Uh with uh because because back then I was reading so much stuff that I just forgot a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of it, which is now I'm like, I'm, I'm a busy guy. <laughs> Jody, why don't you give us your recommendations? Okay, so you know there's there's the classics, the ones that I read when I was younger that I really loved that I reread a lot. Uh, the Stand is one I've always uh, been a bit huge fan of. Stephen King's Stand, uh, Clive Barker's The Great and Secret Show, 
uh, Robert McCammon's Boy's Life. Um, so those those are some of the ones I remember reading when I was younger and I've reread. But I'm going to throw out some newer stuff that I've recently read within the last few years. Uh, some newer authors, some of the upcoming guys. Uh, the Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones is fantastic. And also... Uh, that was great. My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Stephen Graham Jones is one of these up-and-comers who's so good. Uh, frequently writes from a Native American perspective. Uh, he is Native American, so it's very cool. Uh, Paul Tremblay is another one I really <gasps> like. A Head Full of Ghosts, Cabin at the End of the World. Mm-hmm. So good. Wait, you read both of those? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, shit. We got to talk about those. I love those yeah. books. Those are so good. Um See, I, I pulled up my Goodreads so I could remember everything because there's uh, so many good. Do you have Grady Hendrix on there? Grady Hendrix was coming up next. Yeah, that's uh, who I was going to talk about next. Uh, my best friend's Exorcism, uh, Final Girl Support Group. Um, he, he's so good. I've only read. Uh, I've only read my best friend's Exorcism, but uh-huh. he writes so well from a female perspective. Yeah, I didn't from a teenage I, girl perspective. Yeah, and I didn't real. I th- I thought that I thought it was just one of those names that. Could be a unisex. I thought it was a, it was a woman writer based on how yeah. based on how that was written. No, he he's fantastic. Um, let me see. Alma Katsu wrote a book called The Hunger that's about like the Donner Party, but also mm-hmm. kind of a Wendigo story mixed in mm-hmm. with the Donner Party stuff. Very cool. Um, oh, one more Paul Tremblay Survivor song is about a pandemic that I read in the freaking <laughs> middle of the pandemic. Oh god, but. It's like a, it's called super rabies basically. And it uh, basically turns you into a rage monster that kills everyone around you. So when in the middle of the pandemic, I thought, you know what? It's not as bad as that. Uh, this is bad, but I haven't uh, felt the urge to murder anybody. So you haven't? Uh, based on where Jody lives, if he ever gets bitten by a raccoon, we have to check him for super rabies. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Kind of a fun one. There's a guy named Edgar Cantero who wrote a book called Meddling Kids. That's basically like Scooby-Doo. Like if everyone went through trauma and then there was like Lovecraftian stuff afterwards. Um, man, there's so many good good authors out there right now. My wife uh, is reading somebody right now called Darcy Coates that just writes like creepy ghost stories. And she loves, my wife's a prolific reader. I think she's up to like, 23 books so far in 2022 and it's wow. March, which is insane. But uh, my goal is to read a is, book a week this year. I think I'm up to four, so I'm way behind. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, there's so many good things out there right now. Um, I, w- I want to end on something good here. Um, Paul Tremblay's We Sold It, or no, Grady Hendrix, We Sold Our Souls. That's a good one. Uh, it's a rock band kind of thing. They had a great uh, hit at one point, and uh, it involves the devil and all kinds of stuff. It's, you, it's good. Do stuff. you know where he got that name from? Uh, we sold our souls for rock and roll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Black Sabbath compilation. If I think of anything else in the next few minutes, I'm just going to interrupt Jason. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, now, I've always had. I've never been a very fast reader, so reading's always been very, come come kind of slow to me. And I, it takes a lot for me for a book to really grab my attention, so I don't finish a lot of books. Um, but I know real, real, real fast. Can we oh, acknowledge I I Jody? Re- I, re- I just remembered somebody who liked the first one I wanted to mention, and then oh, I go forgot. Ahead. So go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll get back to you. All right. 
Um, <laughs> so my knowledge is as deep as a lot of people, but here, here are the ones that got me. So, well, my all-time favorite movies is The Exorcist. So I decided mm-hmm. to read the book, and whew, I couldn't read it at night. <laughs> I could only read it during during the day because at night it just got to me so much. Um, this was back when I was like working in the office mostly, so I always had to take my lunch breaks in the office. So I just read on my lunch break every day. Um, so that was kind of how I got through that book. So actually, I think I was reading so a few times in my life. I've read two books at once. I was reading another book at night and I was reading this during the day um, because it was just too disturbing. Just the tone and the atmosphere was just, I I couldn't sleep whenever I tried to read it. But I wanted to read it because it was so good. Um, A Clyde Barker book that we haven't talked about much was actually a little more kid-friendly. It's called The Thief of Always. Yes. I never read that. Yeah, I know it, but I never read it. It's it's really good. It's really creepy. It's really, it's like a really dark fairy tale. if, If I could get Guillermo del Toro to direct a movie version of this. That'd be amazing because it'd be right up his alley. Yeah, Clive, um, Clive Barker surprisingly has some good children's literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listened to uh, an audio book of one of his books a while back. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. but Didn't uh, he do an illustrated uh, children's book as well, I think? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And this one has a lot of illustrations that he did kind of put between the chapters to make it, it even more. Yeah, he's visual. also an artist, a visual yeah. artist. Yeah. Um, so that's one I've always really liked. Um, there's an author I like called uh, S.G. Brown. He's done kind of uh, comedy horror books. He has one called Breathers, which is about kind of where there's a zombie apocalypse, kind of. But, you know, it's kind of under control, but like people kind of reanimate and they're like half human. So they, they can still communicate and still be kind of functioning. So they're kind of like second class citizens. Um, and they go to support groups and stuff. It's it's really it's it, it's funny. It's really funny. Um, so like the his books, and then um, one of the last ones I read is called The Final Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, by oh, sorry, final. There's a couple different variations of the style. So it's Final Girls by Riley Sager. Um, My wife is a huge fan of the of that art, uh, author. Just read all of their stuff recently. Oh, yeah. And I think they're making this into a movie relatively soon. But again, it's yeah, it's kind of uh, an examine. It's a drama with the final girl trope, and um, yeah, really, really fun movie, a really fun book. Okay, so I'm gonna jump back in here yeah, because please. I remembered stuff I forgot. Uh, Nick Cutter is one who I've really enjoyed. He wrote the Troop. Oh yeah, the Troop a was really gruesome Boy Scout book. Dude, it gets into, it goes to some places where I'm like, Ew. <laughs> really gruesome. And he also wrote one called The Deep. So my, my wife and I share an Amazon account. So she reads stuff from my Kindle that I bought all the time. And she accidentally read Nick Cutter's The Deep uh, without asking me what it was first. She, she likes reading horror books. She doesn't like horror movies. Oh, but she likes hold horror on books. a second. When you say accidentally, you can't really accidentally read a book because you can well, stop she, a chapter in. Like <laughs> she, she, she normally, when, when she finishes a book, she says, okay, recommend something. Okay. And so I will give her someone else to read. And if she finds somebody she loves, she'll read a bunch of stuff of theirs. Uh, but she picked up The Deep by Nick Cutter, and she just like, she said, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to have words about this because <laughs> this book was too scary. It's uh, set at the bottom of the ocean in like this oceanographic lab. And there's all this weird like Lovecraftian stuff. And it, it, it freaked her out way more than she expected it to. <laughs> Sh- shout out to the movie Underwater. Yes. And, um, and 
The, and then yeah. good. And one final recommendation because I love the name of it and it sounds so ridiculous, but I, I really enjoyed it. A book by a man named Adam Caesar called Clown in a Cornfield. Uh, that is a slasher book about a clown in a cornfield and there is a killer clown and it's just a ton of fun. And he's got a sequel coming out sometime in the fall this year. So I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. So uh, to wrap around some dad advice, fucking when your kids are little read to them oh, yes. and help them. So, but you know, what's, what's kind of cool is like, um, my daughter and I was the same way, like through high school, you're gonna get forced to read so much shit. Your kids are going to force read so much shit. They don't want to read. Um, I was actually really lucky that I had an English teacher that let me read some really, always had some really cool shit, like um, Achebe's uh, Things Fall Apart, and we read Albert Camus' A Stranger and got really into Hamlet mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but if they get bombarded with stuff they don't like, don't, like, tell them, oh, you should read more. They'll figure it out. If you read to them when they're kids, they'll figure it out when they get older. Uh, like, my daughter's kind of rediscovering her, her love of reading, and it's really yeah. cool to see. Well, if... Yeah. if, if Especially like, once your kids get older, if you find something you love, you know, recommend a book. Like, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, my oldest is 15 now. And when I was 15, I was reading Stephen King. So I'm like, oh, maybe I want to try to recommend a few things that I really loved at his age. Firestarter was my first Stephen King. So, yeah. Read it. Check uh, it yeah. out. Well, I was going to say it was for, you know, for guys our age or maybe even a little younger, like college kind of ruined the reading for me. Mm-hmm. Just being forced to read, you know, all the stuff for school and everything. I just like couldn't just pick up a book anymore. It's just it's psychologically, I couldn't really do it. Um, and then, you know, my wife got me a Kindle, um, mm-hmm. I think for my birthday or something like that. And something about like just having this, having being only be focused on that one page on that screen psychologically really helped me get back into reading. So that's yeah. uh, uh, so I, th- I think I mentioned it when uh, we had Alyssa on an episode, but uh, yeah, my Kindle is one of my favorite pieces of tech because it does one thing and it does it really well. Yeah, it's you can't just get for reading. There's no notifications. Nothing pops up. Nothing makes you want to go check your Facebook when you have a Kindle or another device like that. You can have hundreds of books in your pocket anytime you leave the house and it doesn't do anything but that. And it does it fantastically well here's a tip for college um if you find like in college you're having a lot of trouble reading um like what i found really helped me is i had drug addict parents that wouldn't turn in their tax return so i couldn't go to college so i never had that problem (laughs) (laughs) james do you have any other tips i don't know how to transition from that (laughs) you're the master of transitions jason you got this i know here, I'll, I'll throw in one more recommendation. Here. Damn, Jody. <laughs> Sorry. Not a, not a, re- not a re- recommendation for a book, but a recommendation to help you read more. Because uh, I want to. I thought like, you were going to say a recommendation I'm, I'm, for drugs. but <laughs> No, no. no I, I'm with you, Mondo, that I wish I have read more this year, but I'm already behind on what my goals were. Um, audiobooks. Like, if, you're, if you like audiobooks, they're a great way to consume some of this yeah. stuff. My dad is a huge audiobook user. He's always listening to audiobooks, and he, he that that's kind of his big thing. He doesn't read a whole lot, but uh, you know, psychologists say that if you're listening to an audiobook, you're basically getting the same experience as far as your brain's concerned. So, hey, why not listen to a book? You can do other stuff while you do it, or podcasts. And nobody listens to podcasts. <laughs> as a wise person once said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. <laughs> 
Got our second song recommendation. I that. honestly don't remember what song that is, but I remember that line. That's Cheryl Crew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up another episode. James, thanks for coming on. That was a blast. Thank you, James. Okay. Thank you for having me on. It was good uh, to be here. Where can people follow you? Uh, they can go to jamesderman.com. It's uh, J-A-M-E-S-D-E-R-M-O-N-D.com. And uh, they can also find my author page for Amazon and my uh, Goodreads page, you know, and uh, they can also just check out my um, my books on different platforms, also on, on Kobo and, you know, Barnes and Nobles and things like that. Great. And uh, yeah, when your next book comes out, uh, hit us up and we'll have you back on. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I will reach out to you on Twitter. I'm going to retweet or I'm going to uh, tweet a thank you uh, as soon as we're done and you can retweet it if you want to. Oh, definitely. And we'll also uh, make sure in the, uh, we'll make sure in our um, episode notes, we have links to all your stuff too. So people can find you pretty easy by clicking on our links. Yeah. I, I have uh, 46,000 followers on Twitter. Damn. Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a uh, Clive Barker actually retweeted me one time. Ooh, uh, that was my brush with fame. That's pretty. So cool. I, I actually have a number of uh, you know prominent people. Not he doesn't follow me, but other you know yeah. Shutter follows me and some uh, some important writers. Hey, and but Bar- yeah, Barbara Crampton liked one of my posts one time, so I felt like that was like <laughs> my moment. Man, so I, I never understood why people got excited over like a celebrity liking or retweeting their stuff until Stone Cold Steve Austin replied to a tweet of mine. And like, yeah. that shit is sticky. I have a screenshot and favorite yeah. it on my phone. Like, <laughs> I didn't do that, but I was impressed. You know, suppose, you know the, he's probably the second uh, most popular horror writer other yeah. than Stephen King. Oh, yeah. So I was, wow, so. he actually noticed I exist. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's awesome too, because also if you follow him on Twitter, it seems like it's him, right? It doesn't seem like it's a publicist. And that's what's really awesome. That's, that's oh, cool. yeah, it is him. Because he tweets really infrequently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, occasionally he'll... Uh, it's definitely him on there. Definitely, definitely. Like, you can tell when it's a publicist just liking shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think right. Barbara Crampton is definitely a real person on Twitter, too. She 100% is. Yeah. She is a real person. Barbara Crampton is a national treasure that we must protect at yes. all costs. Yes. Okay. Well, we thank everyone for listening. We'd appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review on iTunes and a rating on Spotify. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Adios. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> No, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it.